away we go. Hi everyone, I'm Shauna. I'm Sarah. I'm Tina. I'm Catherine. I'm Jada. And this is Serial Talk, Ooh. where you get to see Serial Talk. Talk. Well, we are excited to be here on the second episode of Serial Talk. Today's topic is womanism slash feminism. So we're going to examine what that means, how we define it, why it's important. And to help us come to those conclusions, we've got three amazing ladies with us today. We've got Tina Brown, Jada Jones, and Katherine Higginbotham. And so we're going to give them all a moment to introduce themselves to you all. Tina? Hi, good evening, ladies. Super happy to be here. Um, My name is Tina Brown. I've been at North Atlanta Church for a little over six years. Um, I've served on a few different ministries there. I've served with Anchor for a while. I also served with the women's ministry for a while and um, in his image, which is the special needs ministry uh, within the children's ministry, which was really awesome. And most recently, I'm now serving on the operations council at North Atlanta. So I'm really happy and excited about that. Um, I work in marketing and communications, and I'm also an MBA student. I'm Catherine Higginbotham. Um, I grew up in North Atlanta, so um, we started going when I was two, and so I think it's been about two decades now <laughs> that I've been in North Atlanta, so a long time. Um, I'm a fourth year at Georgia Tech, where I'm majoring in literature and media studies. Uh, hey, y'all. I'm Jada Jones. I did not grow up in North Atlanta. I actually grew up at First Baptist Church of Atlanta, which is like right around the corner, but I've been going to North Atlanta now for like a few years, maybe like three since like high schoolish. Uh, I'm 20. I'm a junior at Harvard studying sociology, and I'm really excited to talk today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, ladies. We are very excited to get into this conversation. So, um, Shauna, you want to kick us off with question number one? Absolutely. And boy, I'm glad y'all are here because I have never felt more underqualified <laughs> in a room of people. Y'all sound like, I mean, I know you are all stars, but hopefully those credentials just wrap it up for everybody watching. But um, our first question is defining this um these two topics and what they mean to you and exploring the differences between the two and which, which between womanism, feminism, do you relate to more? Because as we dive into this this series, it's going to be really important for us to come back to these definitions and kind of like a baseline of where we're going. Um, Just having a kind of general consensus of the words we're talking about, because these words can be a little bit triggering or challenging when people hear them or when they hear them, it's automatically a no-go. We're not going to have this conversation anymore. It just has a lot of negative connotations that come with them sometimes. So I want to kind of clear the air and let's talk about these. Why why are these words why are these words important? What do they represent? Why do we need to be talking about them? Just kind of like define it from your perspective. We will get into a little bit later why we need to be talking about them. So maybe don't go there yet, but um, just get everyone on the, like a level playing field. Tell me what this means to you um, and your experience between these words. And we'll start again with Tina. Thank you, Shauna. So 
Essentially, um, when people think about feminism um, in American culture, so just to put context around that, um, essentially we're thinking about those three major waves that occurred, right? So we had the late 19th century, early 20th century era of feminism, which was about the women's right to vote, right? And uh, property rights and contractual rights and women uh, being able to um, do things outside of being married, right? Because there was a time where women could not purchase land and that sort of thing without her husband's signature. Um, the second wave, I think folks are most familiar with, which is in the 60s and 70s, where you had the women's liberation movement, right? And so we think of bra burning and not shaving your legs. But essentially what it was about was that women wanted social and legal rights, even uh, beyond just being able to vote. So just women being able to think about having a career, think about uh, educational opportunities, um, things um, outside of what were considered the societal norms for, for women. Um, and then the third wave, essentially, we're still in, and this began around the early 90s, and this is when there was sort of a backlash to the first and second movements that finally realized we never considered other types of women, and that the first two waves were really focused on middle-class white women, and there was no sense of intersectionality on how race and ethnicity and culture and religion all played into womanhood for individuals. And so... Um, if you take courses now around feminism, even in an academic setting, um, they'll, they'll talk a lot about this third wave and how we're still in it. And we're still trying to find a way to bring all these ideas uh, together and recognize the individual challenges. And depending on if you are of a particular race or religion, how yet yeah, women are in the margins, but if you're, let's say a black female that's disabled, you're in the margins of the margins of the margins. And that's something that has to be talked about. Um, meanwhile, while all that was happening in the 70s, you had uh, womanism. And it was a term coined by Alice Walker, who is the author of um, The Color Purple, the writer of The Color Purple. I'm sure we've seen that film or read the book. Um, and so she was the first person credited with using that term. Essentially, it's gone, you know, a lot of folks have used it since then. There's lots of academic literature about this term, but this essentially was a social theory around the history and the struggle of women of color, specifically black women. And so for me, um, there's uh, the tension between the two. So there's feminism, which people think in terms of just uh, liberating women, but it excluded women of color. And that has to be noted. And womanism was born out of the need to acknowledge the fact that Black women and Latin women and Native American women and Asian women have, in fact, a different experience. And so while we're all fighting towards um, the main goal, we have to acknowledge these differences and that each person's struggle is slightly different. Um, and so I know sometimes people use the word interchangeably, but they do have very specific meanings. Um, I may say, you know, feminist, and I may mean something that includes everybody, but it's important to understand as you lay the foundation that they they are born from very two different places. Um, and it'll be great one day when we can just use one term and that actually includes everybody, if that makes sense. So that's what they mean to me. I feel like that's kind of a hard definition to follow because that just hit on all the bases really, really well. Um, but I guess to me, you know, when I think of the word feminism, I think of um, just the phrase, all people are created equal. Um, and, you know, we have that kind of as a fundamental tenet um, in the legal language of the United States. And it has never been truly realized for all people other than men and specifically upper middle class white men. 
um, and heterosexual men, a lot of that. Um, and so, uh, kind of like what Tina was saying, you know, many of the feminist movements that we've seen historically have focused in on white women to the detriment of, um, you know, many women who participated in those movements. Um, you know, women like Sojourner Truth come to mind, people, black women who contributed hugely to these movements and yet who often found their voices silenced in the after effects. Um, and I see womanism as kind of um, offering a critique of that, uh, the way that that's happened, uh, because it says, you know, black women have contributed so much to society and so much to feminist movements. And to deny that contribution um, is to really deny the core of what feminism is and should be, um, which is seeking equality for all people. Um, you know, I think often socially, um, sort of the negative view of feminism is that it's just looking to, you know, make women more powerful and, you know, depower men and all that kind of thing. And I think that rhetoric uh, becomes really damaging um, when it's sort of like internalized because uh, to me, feminism is seeking equality for all people, regardless of gender, regardless uh, and include including gender, I think is a better way to say that and including your um, all of your identities. Um, and so to me, uh, that's kind of like what I see as the ideal of feminism, which I think is an ideal that we are definitely still striving to achieve. Um, and I think the importance of womanism is has been to show mainstream and white feminists um, how far we have to go in order for feminism to truly encapsulate um, all of the people that it ought to be representing. Um, cisgender women, transgender women, white women, black women, um, and wealthy women and poor women. Uh, and the different ways that those identities interact uh, in order to make our lived experiences radically different from one another, despite, you know, perhaps just her commonality of being women. Um, so to me, that's kind of where, you know, um, Tina, you pointed out that we're still in that third wave, um, which I think is really wonderful as well, because feminism is something that is and will continue to develop. Um, and so, you know, I see, um, with hope, I see womanism and feminism working together to create something that is far more inclusive and far more powerful than just, you know, a mainstream white feminism on its own. Wow, these are such tough acts to follow. Y'all are really hitting all the points. Um, I just think, I think it's really funny in general how womanism is generally a less popular term and it is encompassing all the like people of color and poor people, but I think that's just a little bit of a reflection of how the like language around this is evolving. That like now that more people of color and poor people, disabled people, all the the isms like racism, classism, all the isms are coming to light now. That this new term is kind of being pushed to the forefront. I mean, it's not really new, but like being newer. Also, I loved what you said, Catherine. When you're like, feminism is for all genders like feminism benefits men and there's like a common misconception that feminism will hurt men. I think in my experience, I've found like when you talk about feminism, especially with like younger generations, it seems 
that there's like a very negative connotation around it, which I don't like. But <laughs> hopefully with this today, we're like breaking down some walls and kind of just creating a new, not even new, just maybe a more honest and like clear definition of like what feminism and womanism is. So I guess to me, it really is about the like equality and equity of all genders, of all people, really to, especially on top of, in between all of the isms, racism, classism, sexism, ableism, all of them. Thank you, ladies. That was profound. The history lesson, the sociology lesson, the philosophical lesson, that was amazing. Um, Shauna and I did uh, a movie night, I guess you'd call it a movie night, um, this summer where we talked about womanism, uh, actually it was about feminism specifically. And I said how, eh, you know, I never really got into the feminism movement, partly because of how black women were pushed out of it historically. Um, and so womanism to me, Jada, to your point, it's a relatively new term to me. It's not one that I was extremely familiar with um, growing up, but I find it so interesting that it is more inclusive and it is broader. And I would think it has the ability to be um, a stronger, a stronger movement because it's, it's unifying, right? It's, it's taking feminism and it's growing and expanding it. So it seems logical that it would be um, the next, the next step in this push towards equality. But, um, it's, it's interesting and I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about it and that we're noting those differences and paying attention to them. So that brings us to the next question. Why is this important specifically for the church to be talking about womanism and feminism and the interaction between the two and how we can take those terms and the, the movement behind those words and use them in the church context? So I think that's a really great question. And first I wanna say, just piggybacking off of what Jada and Catherine stated about the negative um, connotation that sometimes these words have, that's, that's probably the main reason why it needs to become a conversation within the church is because there's this stigma around it. Folks don't understand it. Uh, you hear conversations and people think feminism, first of all, is anti-man. Um, so if you're pro-woman, you're anti-man, um, it's about women, you know, uh, walking away from the responsibilities of wifehood and motherhood. I mean, I've heard just really crazy things associated with these terms. And what it's really about, like they said, is it's to benefit everyone. It's the progression of everyone. And it's about everyone having choices for what their lives look like and are shaped like. And so the same choices that are presented to men um, should be presented to women, right? Academically, socioeconomics, whatever it is that you want to do. If you just think about popular culture, if a man who is, you know, famous is a bachelor, let's just say, you know, he's he's mysterious and he's sexy and he's aged well and he's, you know, in his 50s and he's a playboy and all these things um, that make him uh, amazing, the exact opposite would be said for a woman, right, who is in her 50s and never married, no children. Um, and we see this in everyday life, not just with famous people, with just regular folks that we know for the decisions that women make. There is a, a additional tax that is attributed and associated with, oh, you never got married, you got married later, you didn't have kids or that sort of thing. And so 
uh, these expectations, um, these roles that we think that women should automatically fulfill, those, those that needs to go away, in my personal opinion. And I think um, the church needs to be involved in this conversation because you have lots of women that faithful Christian women, and they feel like they have to do certain things by a certain timeline, or they'll be shunned in a way. Um, I can remember my experience, and I didn't grow up in a church of Christ, by the way, but being a single woman in church uh, made you feel some kind of way. There was a lot of times this language around, you could have been accomplishing everything. You could have been in medical school. It didn't matter. There was always somebody saying, when you got to get married, when you got to settle down, as if singlehood was some sort of curse, right? And you must not have yourself together. You must not be presenting yourself in a way in which a man has asked for your hand in marriage. And it's like, maybe that wasn't my goal. Maybe I don't even care right now. Or maybe I'm thinking about that later on. Maybe I want to be a brain surgeon. And I think it needs to become a common conversation so folks can understand women, first of all, are human beings and we're complex human beings. And like anyone else, we go through different phases and stages. And what we want is uh, different for each woman. There is no set, every woman wants to be a wife, every woman, wants, no, that's, that's actually not it at all. And so I think uh, the church would find itself coming into current times, it would be much more relevant. You hear about uh, the millennials and a lot of younger folks leaving the church. And that is happening in droves because folks don't feel represented. And people are like, we're not going to sit around and wait till you all get your act together and understand what's happening in our everyday lives. And I'm not going to sit in a church that is um, conforming to these ridiculous standards. Right. I'm gone. I'm going to find another way in which to exercise my religion or spirituality. And so I think if the church, not just Church of Christ, but church in general, wants to stay relevant to folks, they've got to come into the uh, current times. They've got to understand everything we just discussed, what the difference is, not be afraid of these terms and be a place where uh, women feel safe. Because I think that's a lot of what's happening. It's it's becoming not a safe place if you're somehow different. If you're anything different than what Catherine said, if you're not a cisgendered, heterosexual, middle class, white male, you're feeling some kind of way, right? And so we've got to change that. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. Um, and I'll add too that I think it's easy to forget how important um, the tenets of feminism are to Christ ministry. Um, you know, I think as when I was growing up as a child, um, I learned from a very early age to be a feminist. And I think a lot of the, that education came, you know, from my mom, but also from the Bible. Um, and, you know, having growing up studied all of these stories, I began to see um, feminism in Christ's actions to women and also in his actions to all people. Um, the way that he so clearly worked um, against the societal norms of the time and spoke with women, respected women, asked women for their opinions, uh, lifted women up as important spiritual figures, um, often, you know, reacting to men's dismissal of women when he was doing that. And I'm thinking particularly of the story when um, a woman came and poured perfume on his feet and washed it with uh, 
her hair. And um, I guess it was Judith's reaction was to say, well, you know, she could have spent that money to help the poor. Um, and Jesus was like, no, this is, you know, this is like a beautiful act. Like these things, these things that women are doing are of deep spiritual importance. Um, and, you know, I think if we, you know, truly look at the Bible, then we understand how important women are to Jesus. And if women are important to Jesus, then they should be important to the church body as well. Um, especially because, you know, we are a body. And as Tina was saying, you know, we can lose people um, if we do not treat our body with love and respect. And when we lose members of the church, then we're losing parts of our body. Um, and, you know, that's true for everyone. Like, I, you know, I think back to the time when North Atlanta uh, began to emphasize women's roles and give women more spaces for leadership. Um, an incredibly powerful time for me personally, having grown up um, in the church. And, you know, there were people who left because they could not cope with um, what was happening. And I think it's also important to recognize that as a loss um, and a deeply tragic loss. Um, and, you know, I think so when we talk about these things, when we understand these losses, um, I think that it's important to follow Christ's example in love and empathy, because, you know, even in that moment, um, you know, I don't see Jesus as, you know, cruelly rebuking Judas, but correcting him and explaining that there is a different way. Um, and so I think, you know, to me, what North Atlanta has already done is such a beautiful example of kindness and love in this act of exploring feminism and having conversations about feminism in the church uh, because we've done it in a way that I believe has been incredibly respectful um, to all people and hasn't been you know a rebuke or anything like that but just an understanding that um, just like feminism is growing and changing the church also has to grow and change um, you know, I, I think we've seen, we saw in the Bible, just the way that the church was growing and changing from Christ's ministry to, you know, the letters that Paul is writing after Christ's death um, and seeing, you know, how the church is shifting. And I think um, if we, for even one moment, begin to believe that where the church is now is where the church stops. And like, we're never gonna change from here. This is it, this is, we're done. Um, then that's kind of the death of um, the church as a body, so. Wow, that was such a good point of the, kind of just the changing of the church and how like it needs to be dynamic in that way. I think it's funny because I didn't grow up at North Atlanta, so I didn't grow up seeing women in like positions of power in the church. And it's kind of ironic that you're a child and you're going to Bible study and you're hearing about like Ruth and Naomi and Esther and all these women of the Bible. And then I go to big church where like the adults go and there's like only men and like two men of color, all able-bodied men. And you're like kind of this like cognitive dissonance that we're kind of experiencing. So it's such a good point to bring those like stories of Christ and Christ's actions into what we're experiencing in the church. I just, I love that you had that experience. I'm kind of jealous that I didn't. 
Um, let me know when y'all do your first TED talk because I will be in the front row. Uh, I just am blown away that, I mean, y'all are just incredible. And I love, similar to Jada, like what you said, Jada, just the church has to keep moving off Catherine's point. Um, because, you know, we think of the Bible as a living, breathing document that's ever evolving in the way that we understand it. So why can't the church reflect that same experience? And I think that's such a fantastic point. Um, and to your point, Tina, you know, even the men, if the men don't fit the box, they have enormous pressure put on them too. You know, I'm thinking about the, uh, the graduates of, is it like ministry or Bible and they can't get a job unless they're married. Like you can't get a job as a pastor unless you're married. Like maybe they don't want to be married yet. You're 22. It's okay if you don't want to be married yet, but if you're not, you can't get a job. And so like the pressure is on them too. And so pulling this, these like ideals of equality apply across to everyone because the same pressures that are being applied on women can also be applied to men if you don't fit within the box. And I think that it was just an incredible point you made of just, we just want to not have a box. Like, why does there got to be a box anymore? <laughs> can we just not have a box? Anybody? Uh, and I, anyway, I just really appreciated what y'all said. And I think this very easily transitions into what do you want the church to know? Like, here's your TED talk moment for our church, for the church in, in America. Like, what do you want them to know? <laughs> uh, I want to go back to Jada's point about cognitive dissonance, uh, which is like, like you just hit the nail on the head <laughs> so hard with that, because I think that's exactly what we're experiencing. Um, and this is what the church should know. So just like we're talking about the fact that you go into this space of you read about or we hear about Ruth and Naomi and all these powerful women and then you go into church and then there's no women serving in leadership right but it's also the idea that we fight and we break glass ceilings in corporate America and work environments every day we push women to be you know part of you know stem you know science technology and all these wonderful things and then we go back we go to church and we set ourselves back 250 years and no one questions it and we have to think about how unhealthy that is, first of all, and how ri ridiculous it is, in fact. And so that's, I think we've all made the point, Jada and Catherine and I have all made the point about, we got to come into the current times. And like you just said, Shauna, we think of the biblical texts as living and breathing word. And as time has gone by, we've seen the different interpretations of it. And so we should be able to adapt appropriate, not change the word, but understand the nuances and how do you apply biblical principles into today's world and how that how it's relevant to today if you're speaking to the people of today you have to make it relevant in their lives and tangible i think the other piece about um patriarchy male privilege is that like we've already said it hurts men also but I think, again, back to the cognitive dissonance, it also serves them so well, it's sometimes hard to let that go, right? So if something helps you but hurts you, it's kind of a weird spot to be in. And so I think the ways in which it has served men at the same time, you know, having to be married before you become a pastor. Um, I don't know if you guys are keep up with like the Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith. There was an episode where she was speaking about 
infidelity with her husband, Will Smith, okay? And Will Smith, at one point on the video, looks very teary-eyed, sad, whatever. I don't know what he was going through, but he looked. And so that picture was taken, and it was made into a meme. And they were making jokes about Will Smith looking broken and emotional. And some guy posted on Facebook and said, this is exactly why it's hard for men to talk about their feelings. Because here was a man that appeared to be going through something traumatic emotionally. We don't know for sure. We're not in his head. But that was the interpretation. But it was turned into a viral joke online. But I think that's the point, right? Because that is what patriarchy does, is it hurts men as well. So men cannot tap into their emotions and express themselves without being seen as weak, feminine, not fully men. And so it hurts everybody. And so... Feminism, womanism will help everybody. It's it's not to exclude men or shun men. It's we're trying to bring it so that everybody benefits and nobody is hurt by these things. And I think the point about what the church should know is also that when you have people that have been at North Atlanta or any church for 20, 30 years, right? And they raise their families there. You always have like the next generation. And so if you're not speaking to the next generation and not just people of Catherine and Jada's age, I'm talking about someone that's 10 years old, someone that's five years old. Like, who is the future? Who are you ushering in the, in the next 20 years? And are they going to stay? Because are you including them? Are you having conversations that are relevant to their lives? And I think if the church wants folks to have a life, a Christian life where it's part of my identity. It's part of my intersection. I'm a black woman, Christian from the Midwest. I live in the South. I'm not married. I'm 40. I'm an MBA student. I should be able to bring all of myself to church. I should not have to hide part of who I am when I come to church. And then during the week, I feel like this life is separate. And if you want folks to, to feel like they can show up in their whole selves, then we need to have conversations that are relevant and acknowledge and validate their whole being. And part of that is their womanhood or not having kids or not choosing to have children or being divorced or whatever it may be. But I think um, we all want to sit at the table. Everybody's voices are super relevant and we have to create a safe space for people to have very complex identities and be comfortable enough to show up. Yeah, I think um, when thinking about what I want the church to know, um, I just kind of think back on my experience within the church, um, you know, for the past 20 years. So growing up, um, you know, prior to North Atlanta making the change to include women in leadership, um, there were no women serving communion. There were no women preaching. And I remember um, as I started to become conscious of this, this like growing bitterness within me as a very, like I was a very bitter middle schooler at some point. <laughs> um, I just remember um, feeling a lot of hurt that I knew I wouldn't be allowed to do any of these things because there was a point when I wanted to be a preacher as a little girl. And it was made pretty clear to me that that was not going to happen. Um, and so that was something that I grew up with carrying a lot of anger and bitterness and hurt as a result of that. And so then, you know, I look back to the day when we announced that we were going to include women in leadership roles in um, ministry, that women could read scripture in front of the church, that women could preach. And I remember it so vividly because 
Um, I don't remember which one of the elders was speaking at this point, but one of the elders apologized on the behalf of the eldership of North Atlanta and um, said that they felt that they had harmed the women of the church and that it was a sin. And I was sitting, I remember sitting in a pew sobbing, like bawling my eyes out. Um, I'm going to get emotional just talking about it now, actually. Um, And the reason is because in that moment, so much of my church experience was redeemed. Um, And I use that word redeemed really intentionally um, because it's more than just like, oh, I feel kind of better about things now. Like um, it was redeemed. (laughs) And, you know, that doesn't mean that that pain wasn't caused, that hurt wasn't caused. But it does mean that, you know, I look back on um, that middle schooler sitting in church with just so much anger. And I think, you know, your future is gonna look different. Um, And I remember looking at um, these little girls. So I remember seeing um, a few men get up with their daughters and walk up to the front to the elders and their daughters like walked up to every elder and thanked him. And I just remembered thinking, you know, this is gonna be different for you, you know? And I think, that redemption that I experienced for my whole church experience growing up um, is the redemption that so many women in so many churches could experience, um, you know, if the church chose to move forward in the same ways that North Atlanta has. And, you know, I also think that redemption is a choice that we continue to make, um, not just a one and done deal, but something that we continue in. Um, And I think it's something that, you know, we do every single day. Um, and, um, so I think, I think what I'm trying to say is just that, you know, that redemption is something that people can feel to the point where, um, you know, kind of like we've been talking about, it's not just something where you want to just abandon the church forever, but that you can say, okay, um, I experienced harm as a result of this. Um, and now I see a brighter and more hopeful future for myself, for um, women in the church who are 85, who, for girls who are just entering second grade, for girls in pre-K, um, and also for boys in pre-K. Um, because um, like Tina, what you were saying, the ability to like very emotionally experience church is I think something that we'll be able to grow in um, when we talk about feminism for um, men and for women. Um, so I think that redemption to me, redemption is the word that comes to mind when I think about feminism and I think about the church and I specifically think about North Atlanta. Um, and that I think is so incredibly important for individuals and for the church body, for the body of the church to experience healing. Dang, that was so good. I love hearing your your childhood stories. Like, again, I didn't go to North Atlanta, so I don't know, like, what that was like, but I can imagine how powerful that must have been. Like, the word, like, continuing really stuck out to me because, like, I feel like a lot of times when I was kind of growing up and getting into my faith and, like, kind of, I grew up in a religious family, obviously, but I didn't really know what that meant for me, kind of. I was kind of just like, okay, you go to church and, like, read your Bible or whatever. Like, I didn't really have that, like, personal aspect. So I think the word continuing is really important. So, like, in that same vein, what I would want the church to know is, like, it's really okay to ask questions about stuff you don't know about. Like, 
maybe people watching this video are like feminism, womanism. I don't really know what that is. Like, maybe that's not for me, but like, you're not going to like continue to grow without asking those questions. And I feel like that kind of stagnated my relationship with God and Jesus in the church for a little bit. Cause I was just like, this is how it is. Like, I don't really know what else to do. So really changing, asking questions. It's okay to like backtrack, maybe like, ooh, I messed up. Or maybe like, well, maybe I should go back to that. Like, it's definitely okay to be like more fluid in how you view your relationship with God, especially when we're discussing topics that are so, uh, what's it like, poignant and like difficult to talk about, especially maybe, maybe even more so for like men and like women of color and groups that have been marginalized by the church historically. So I think like that word continuing, Catherine, is so like good. I love that. I just wanted to um, jump in because something I think Tina said really stuck out to me. And Shauna, you you started it off when you were talking about the Bible being a living, breathing document. And Tina kind of continued as she talked about how we have to um, interpret it based on what we know now, right? Like culture changes, um, things that are important in society changes. And it made me think back to how the Bible was used very strongly um, to justify slavery. And there are specific scriptures in the Bible that were picked and used selectively to convince white slave owners that they were doing the right thing, to convince black slaves that they were wrong for trying to rebel and to have their freedom. And that lie was perpetuated for generations. And so it's very easy, I think, to to find exactly what you're looking for in the Bible when you're seeking for specific things to to provide um, justification for the actions that you want to take. But if you look at the Bible from a a 10,000 foot approach and pay attention to the, the themes, right? Love, like that's it. Like the whole thing, love, have on my love for a shirt? I do have on my love for a shirt. Like love is, is the main and most important and central element of the Bible that needs to be paid attention to. And when you're creating a space, um, Tina, like you said, that, that doesn't allow people to bring their authentic selves to worship. Or Catherine said um, the, the, the anger and the bitterness that she felt in God's house. Like we have to continually, Jada, examine what are we doing as a church body that's making someone who's here right now feel that way? And how can we change that? Because the only thing people should feel in the church is love. I want to speak to that too. Um, and kind of that, that idea that every, the only thing people should feel in the church is love. And also Jada, what you were saying about um, asking questions and kind of growing and learning and backtracking. Um, because I think something that makes growth really intimidating and scary, especially in a large group, is the fact that growth can be really awkward and really painful. And sometimes it doesn't like go the way that you're necessarily expecting it to. 
Um, and I think the really important thing about conversations about feminism within the church is that, you know, we have to be able to empathize with people who have never thought that feminism was a conversation that could possibly enter the church and may have some serious legitimate questions about it um, that they, you know, should be able to ask, even if those questions um, might be something that is obvious to uh, any of us or even something um, that they don't you know, necessarily understand yet um, is problematic in one way or another. Um, and I think that that love that we need to have in like all conversations about feminism has to extend to everybody, um, not just people advocating for feminism, but also people who are like, wait, I didn't know that this was even an okay thing to think about talking about, or like, I don't think I want to talk about this, or why should I have to talk about this? Um, I think that love is something that's really important to extend to everybody in order to have a dialogue that um, creates, uh, you know, a safe space for every single person entering into that dialogue. Um, so I really love both of those points. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to consider is, you know, we continue to grow and continue to face that awkwardness and that pain and that misdirection that will undoubtedly happen with all growth. I feel like um, I'm supposed to be doing like a wrap up right now, but I just want to open the floor for anything else. I just, do all feel like an endless vat of information and knowledge and wisdom and Holy spirit, everything. So, um, um, but I just feel called to like open the floor. Like what else, <laughs> what else y'all got? Because I was so blessed, um, by everything you said. And I, I mean, I have a notebook and it is not big enough. I didn't bring, it's too little for the notes that I was trying to take. Um, but I just want to open the floor for any additional thoughts or comments or anything else y'all want to perhaps have to say um, before we wrap up. I just want to say, I think in general, um, <clears throat> we all have to think about the ways in which we've internalized patriarchy or misogyny through our own experience in church. And I say that because although we as women may think the work is for them to do. Everybody else needs to catch up with us. We ourselves have internalized this kind of hierarchy of superiority, if you will. So even as a black woman, I may not have the same privilege, let's just say as a, a white man in a, in a typical situation, but there's still in, in each space that I enter, there's a power dynamic. And so, there are still people that I have power or privilege over in a way, and, and even in a church setting. So for example, when I served with the anchor ministry, I had to be very careful of the way I processed my role working with them, right? That I didn't turn it into, they made these decisions and somehow I'm better than because I didn't end up, because I might've been one decision, one college night, in Atlanta, away from having the exact same journey that they had. And so I think we have to, even beyond the concept of feminism, womanism, and getting men to 
all let's all work together towards this common goal. But eat as individuals, we all have our individual work to do. No matter how marginalized you think you are, you probably have a little bit of power somewhere. And it's it's those things. Somebody struggled with addiction. Somebody had a baby out of wedlock. Somebody didn't get somebody had an adulterous affair. Search yourself and interrogate yourself the ways in which you feel better than that person. Because those are all the tentacles of patriarchy. Because what it does is it makes you feel on some ladder. First of all, it makes you see everything as a ladder and these this this superiority scale. And so you may say, well, I'm this culture, I'm 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 down here, but you still feel like you have a certain amount of power or betterness, I don't know if that's the right word, than someone else. And I think that's the real work. Like when you really get past the initial foundation that's being able to open up this conversation within the church, then the real work is to search your own life and your own relationships to things and think about the ways in which you engage in power and privilege and how you may have internalized over time that there's a certain hierarchy and you're somehow better than somebody else in the decisions that may, they may have made, if that makes sense. Um, and the main thing is, I always tell people, be cognizant of your reaction to things. I hope this is not too racy of a topic. So there is a new song, a newer song by two female rappers, uh, Meg Thee Stallion and Cardi B. I'm gonna let y'all figure out what the new song is because the Holy Spirit is saying, don't, you know. Okay, so listen. All I'll say is the song is extremely sexually explicit. There's no denying that. And I'm not here to make a moral argument one way or the other. Seriously, sexually explicit. So however you feel about that's how you feel about that. There were literally feces statements and, and, and dissertations written online by church folks, men especially, about how outraged they were that this type of music is out. Now, y'all know, men have written these types of songs from a position of they're in the sea of power about women for forever, since, since, the, since the inception of, of hip hop, rap, whatever. It's never been questioned. It got the explicit label. We listened to it. We danced to it. Nobody felt any old kind of way. Everything from violence towards women, rape, and everything else has been rapped about. These two young ladies present a song with the same type of content, but now the woman is in the position of power. And everybody has, I mean, people went crazy. I mean, crazy about this. And I, I remember my one question was, again, I wasn't trying to make a moral argument. If you, you say, you know, young girls being a fool, I would never argue that and say that that's what I would want my daughter to listen to. The question that I had, though, I want you to explain your reaction to that versus a man making the same type of song. That's the thing I wanted folks to sit with. Because if you're having a different reaction, I want you to think about why. And I think that's what this all comes down to, is that if you have an issue with certain types of content, I think that's, 
That's normal. We all are going to react different ways depending on our experience, culture, what kind of environment we grew up in, how conservative, how liberal, how whatever. But at the same time, if it depends on who's delivering the content, if that's where the tension lies, I think we need to interrogate that. Very similar. And I think, uh, Tina, I think you're coming back for another episode later where we're going to kind of dive into this a little bit more. But the reaction to Adam Levine's halftime show and Shakira and J-Lo. Another great example. Yes. Yes. I literally have that like under like I think it's it's a couple episodes away from now. It's one of the subtopics of just unpacking this a little bit more because it was totally a-okay. And I mean, I won't say names, but I was at a Super Bowl party with some individuals who were over the moon about Adam Levine. And then the next year were absolutely appalled at J-Lo and Shakira. So why? <laughs> What's the difference here uh, outside of it being a white man and two women of color? Like they're, that's the difference in my opinion. <laughs> But we will unpack this very much. Uh, we can continue the conversation now, but there will be an entire episode about this in the series because that is so broad and deeply infiltrated. I mean, it's just in everything. And I think that's a great point. And that's why we're going to do a whole episode about it. Um, but if y'all have more thoughts, please continue. Yeah. Um, so I think something that you said there too about like people being super, super into the Adam Levine performance too is really interesting because I think culturally we're now sort of understanding that the way that we've historically objectified women is really damaging and it is. Um, and I think a lot of women's reactions and like their, um, uh, the way they're reacting to that is to say, okay, well, so now it's okay for me to objectify men. Um, and I, get a little frustrated with that because I think objectification in general, and I'm not, for the record, I'm not criticizing Adam Levine or JLo or Shakira for their performances, but um, just, you know, the dearth of BuzzFeed articles that you see about, um, you know, men and like their Instagram posts and all that stuff. And it's like, well, you know, if you're going to criticize people for objectifying women, then you should not turn around and do the same thing to men because Ultimately, objectification, making someone into an object rather than a human being, is damaging if you do it to women, and it's damaging if you do it to men. Um, Audre Lorde wrote that you cannot use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. And so when you're doing, when you're doing this, when you're objectifying men as a reaction to women having been objectified, well, of course, you know, it makes sense. Like, if you've been hurt, you want to lash out. But like that is just, I think, one of the worst ways to go about it because um, I think that the purpose of feminism should be to make it clear socially that all people, regardless of their gender, are human beings. And if you take feminism and say, okay, well, now it's okay for me to act like men aren't human beings, well, then feminism has now failed completely at its basic central purpose. Um, so that's something that really, I get a little bit heated about this <laughs> because, um, you know, when you act like, okay, well, we can't do this to women, but because we can't do it to women, we're going to do it to men as much as possible. I don't, I'm not a fan of that. Um, 
kind of like going back to the church question, but what is one thing you would like to tell like the fellow men in the church or the world um, like specifically about this? I think we've covered this a little bit, but just specifically to the men, um, why should they care? What does this look like for them? Just kind of unpacking it more um, so that they that there's like an understanding of why this fight is for all kind of moving forward. I probably need more time to, to process this really, but my initial reaction would be, um, I posted them, why do you think it's not for you? Uh, what are the ways in which you've engaged in this conversation that would make you feel that you're excluded from this movement? What is your understanding of it? And it makes me think of the whole race relations argument, right? Where after George Floyd, everybody was, you know, seeking out anti-racist works and theologies. And, and there was this thing where black folks were expected to sit around and explain racism and the history of it. And what I want to tell people is, the people that have been marginalized by a specific system or structure, do not ask those individuals to teach you. You can say, hey, I'm going to use you as a resource from time to time. I want to understand your experience. That's fine. That's relationship, right? That's being with people. But for the men, do not expect women to sit around and explain all of this to you. Now, it's fine to want to understand our experiences and validate our experiences and hear our stories, but do your work, do your work. It's out there. We all know how quickly we can get to information on these phones. Read, do your homework, bring yourself up into the 21st century to understand this very, very complex issue, all the waves that it's gone through. I mean, we first of all, we just gave y'all a history lesson <laughs> in under an hour, so listen to this. And then do the whole work, okay? I mean, I think that's the first step is holding folks accountable. Um, when I wanted, when I worked with the anchor ministry, it was it was important for me to understand addiction. I did my own research, and I didn't sit there and and think that these women were responsible for what I understood about their journey. Yeah, I wanted to hear their own personal stories and journeys, but it was the onus was on me to understand better about what that looks like in my own time if I was really interested in building relationships with these ladies. Um, and so that would be my initial thought. I also would want them to understand, like we already said, how much the same system that serves them hurts them as well and the expectation it has put on them as well. And I think the main point to sum it all up is that these are not women's issues. These are human issues. I Because I even hate the whole concept of this is something over here. No, it's everybody. We're all human beings. And I think the idea of women being fully human, which sounds so basic, is actually revolutionary within itself. That I'm, I was not just created to be your assistant or some sort of vehicle that helps you, assists you, promotes you, sustains you, feeds you. 
uh, and often black women end up, and I know I'm getting off on a tangent, we often end up in these positions, even with the whole feminist womanist movement. If you all understand the history of the mammy in slavery, and it was the black woman that breastfed the master's baby, the slave master's baby, called a wet nurse. She was the bed wench for sexual fulfillment. She did everything at the expense of her own life while her own baby had probably been snatched and sold to another plantation. And we still find ourselves, even now, even though black women, actually, I think I want to say the correct stat is that we are the most educated group in America right now in terms of degrees. We still rank at the bottom in terms of pay, but in terms of actual degrees, collectively, we have the most. But we still find ourselves in this mammying type role, explaining everything, mothering everybody, breastfeeding everybody, putting a blanket on everybody, coddling everybody, and we're done. We're done. Do your research, do your work, feed yourself, figure it out, grow up. You got to grow up spiritually. You got to grow up, period. And I think that's the thing that really gets me going about this conversation is that the expectation that people want everything spoon fed to them. That's not our role as women, as black women, as whatever type of women, men, come on, <laughs> come on in here and sit on down and get it together. Because we're all, we're all trying to go towards the same goal, which is to make it good for everybody. We're not trying to exclude you. This is just as much your work as it is my work. We don't want it to be this thing where, oh, I just want to be an ally and kind of, no, 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 no. Come on in the room and have a seat at the table right alongside me and let's work together. I know I got off on a tangent, but. I really love that. And especially the idea of like, have a seat at the table with us. Um, and within that, you know, like, don't be scared to do that because I think, and, you know, I mentioned this earlier with growth, but I think, you know, it can be really scary to be like, okay, well, what if I mess up? What if I say something sexist? What if I say something racist? I mean, I know as a white person, that's certainly an experience that I've had from time to time, but it's like, don't, you know, you're probably going to mess up at some point. I have messed up, you know, at points in my life, everyone is going to like say something and then be like, wait, I realize now that that was maybe not the best thing to say in the situation. And I would like to rewind quickly. Um, it's okay. You know, I think that's part of growth and it's also part of being at the table and uh, being with people is that, you know, you will make mistakes, but like as a community, as a church body, um, we're doing it together. And that's kind of something where it's like, like it or not, you're at the table already. Um, and it's your choice, you know, whether or not you are going to, you know, carry your weight there. And that can be a really scary thing to do. Um, but, you know, if we are a body, if we are a community, then, you know, that's going to be something that we're going to support one another. And not that, you know, like Tina, like what you're saying, not that we're going to carry other people instead of having them do the work. Um, but that we will support one another as we do work, because I think, you know, we all know how difficult that process can be to go through. Um, I think just in my own life, I've seen so many people that I care deeply about go through a process where they've had to seriously rethink their beliefs about sexism, racism, 
homophobia, so on and so forth. And that is a really difficult and often a really long process. Um, but like, I, as a body, we'll be there together one way or another. Um, and going through that process is not something that you have to do in fear or in isolation. Um, and it's also not something that you have to do. But if you do choose to do it, you know, you're making yourself stronger, you're making the body stronger, um, you are empowering not just yourself, not just your family members, but, you know, all of us together as a unit. Um, and I think that that table image and the image of a body is really important because like we're sitting together, um, we are working together, we are doing this as a unit. And it is important that you take responsibility and do work. Um, but we'll be there too. The table metaphor is literally perfect because when you first posed the question, it was like, why, like, what would we want to say to men about like womanism and feminism? And like the first instinct that I thought of was that, like, I think it's a quote, it's like a colloquialism at this point. It's like, oh, she's somebody's like mother. She's somebody's like sister. You know what I'm talking about? But that in and of itself is like woman's relationship to men is like why you should care about it. But it's kind of just like, I think the like corny thing is they like cross it out and they're like, she's somebody like, but kind of like, that's really it. Like we're all at this like table, like she, that is a girl, a woman, like a child at the table as a woman. And like, if we're all trying to like really understand each other, respect each other, make this like, I think like what Catherine said, make this like body better. It's like, then you gotta kind of do your work. It's not that she's like somebody's sister or you're like, oh, I wouldn't want my daughter to do this. It's like, women of the church that you love are asking you to do this. It's kind of what would be best beneficial for all of us. Man, I'm so glad we asked that extra question. I mean, that was a whole meal right there. I'm still <laughs> picking my teeth. That was amazing. That was amazing. I loved everything about that. You guys are awesome. I wanted to say really quickly on Jada's point, you made a perfect point about the quote, because that's exactly what patriarchy does is it centers itself and it thinks, it believes that everything is in relation to it. So I don't exist without my relationship to you. So you don't have any type of feeling towards me unless you identify that I'm somebody's sister, mama, auntie, cousin, whatever. Not just that I'm a human being, I'm a child of God. That's just not enough for you to think about some of the ways in which what we're doing is harmful is that it must be in relationship to you for you to get it. And that, like you just said, Jada, is the problem within itself is the idea when you think about like catcalling. Okay. If a woman is wearing a, a form fitting dress and, and the idea that a man thinks, well, if she's wearing that, that's clearly for me to scream out something obscene. Not the fact that maybe I think I look good in this shirt. Maybe I lost five pounds or gained five pounds. Maybe I'm finally comfortable with the size of my hips. And I'm wearing this as a way to say I'm good with my body. Not for you to come out of your face and say something off the wall. But the idea that you think everything I do, hair, this bold lip color is in relationship to you. That's a problem. And that's where the real work needs to be done.
Wow. Um, I think kind of to your point, Catherine, about um, like coming alongside, you know, kind of, kind of like everyone at the table together. I think that there's like a layer. And I think even Tina, you talked about this too, but there's a layer of shame that comes with having to admit all the isms, right? I'm right. I, I have racist tendencies. I have sexist tendencies, um, ableism, you know, it, but and to your point, you know, like it's just things you've learned. And so, but I think there's a level of pride that comes with admitting it. Like I'm not those things though. I'm not that I can't be that. And it just, it takes a little bit of like breaking down the shame because it's not always your shame to carry. Like this is part of a really big complicated system and you've been raised up in it. I mean, between society or the church, like this is complicated. And it's not always necessarily that you have to take the fall for how this ended up this way, but you do have to take the responsibility and the growth towards kind of coming out of it. And I think that's what Catherine, you were saying, like, there's a lot of empathy and grace in this process for white people trying to wrestle with racism, for able-bodied people trying to wrestle with ableism, colorism, like all of the isms, all of the phobias, there's got to be grace there. Um, But that doesn't absolve you of doing the work. So I I just can't reiterate, like, y'all are incredible. (laughs) I'm so glad that you joined us. Um, I think our church will be better because of this, but um, my notes to kind of kind of summarize everything that I heard today, but just the general idea of it being just equality and equity for all of your identities, Catherine, is what you said. And then, Tina, you said all of your complex identities, like we are all more than one thing and we are all more than five things and you are more than the person sitting next to you in any given scenario you are more than somebody in your family you're more like you just are more than that and um that's sometimes hard to untangle and unravel and then reflect you know you talked a ton about for self-reflection and what that looks like and the shame that comes with that I think um it's hard to grasp and then uh, Jada's talking about the cognitive dissonance that, uh, you know, you put a label to that is heavy. And I talked about this in our last episode too, but it is hard to walk around thinking one thing about yourself and going to church and being told another, I mean, that is heavy. And that is hard. Catherine, you talked a ton about just the anger and it just doesn't make any sense. Like why does the U S government say this is illegal? And my church says it's of the Lord like that is hard to wrestle with. Um, and it's something I still struggle with quite a bit. Um, but the whole idea is the equity, right? And, and, um, the continuation Jada talked about continuation, um, and your faith should be able to handle these questions and handle these reflections. And if it can't, then maybe we need to reevaluate your faith, but it's my opinion that Christianity, our faith in God, um, Jesus, like he can handle the weight of these questions and these explorations and like taking these burdens off the women to reflect like our faith can handle that. And so let's do it. Let's, let's unpack this. Um, and Catherine, I really appreciated the empathy for those still growing. I mean, before we could walk, we had to crawl before we could crawl, you know, like there's, we have to have empathy for those who are trying, um, and, you know, helping them along, but you also can't just walk for a baby. They have to learn how to do it. So um, I really appreciated 
the empathy part because it's very easy for me. I won't speak for anybody else, but it's really easy for me to put my nose to the ground and say, we're going, let's go. Like, why aren't you coming with me? Um, this is so easy and obvious. And it's not like for people who this is, it's hard to unpack all that. We're learning this, right? This year, this 2020 has taught us that this is hard to unpack and unravel in your complex identities. We've talked about this. So this is hard. So having empathy and grace to help people come along and understanding for when we get it wrong. I think that's all about faith and what our our faith reflects is the grace and the understanding and the forgiveness and the redemption. Catherine talked about that a good bit. Um, but the last thing I wanted to just highlight as we were talking about, you know, the, the Bible being living, breathing, and our church should reflect that. But I think, you know, something about the beauty of the gospel, I think, in the way that we all interpret and reflect it is that we all can't know God fully, but we can all know pieces of God that are unique and that when we come together, we have a better picture of God. And that's how I feel this conversation went. Like, we don't all know everything about womanism and feminism, and this call doesn't even reflect all of the knowledge and understanding of womanism and feminism, but we all brought different unique perspectives that bring a better understanding, and our church should be that way too. There should be no one excluded from sharing the gospel and allowing a church to understand the gospel. And I think that we're getting there. We're not there yet. And, I, you know, I, I liked what Catherine said about like our church doing so good. But then what Jada said about we need to continue because the work's never done. We always need to be in a state of self-reflection. And I think the best way to do that is to go back to the gospel because that is what Jesus did. Um so I just think that this was an incredible representation of our Lord and um, his love for us and the, his love for uh, the community, the body, like Catherine said, the church. I mean, I just think that y'all just killed it. I mean, this was an incredible conversation. I don't know how else to say it eloquently. Um, I'm blown away. Um, yeah, just thank you for being a part of this. Um, our church and beyond will be blessed. Um, I know some of you are coming back for later conversations. I'm so excited about that, but, um, thank you. Thank you, um, so much for being a part of this. Um, I don't have the words, but, uh, we will probably just need to start a small group or something where we can just all be together forever. <laughs> this was incredible. <laughs> thank you again. Um, we will be back in two weeks. That was the worst exit ever. I don't know how to wrap this up. <laughs> That's okay, Shauna. And I just want to say hats off Jada and Catherine. Y'all are brilliant young ladies. And thank you for your contribution. I, I, I learned even more from you both. Yeah, this was so fun. Oh, I love y'all. <laughs> Can I have like a like a reunion call? <laughs>